Welcome to Kol Isha, the podcast that gives Orthodox women a voice. Welcome back to Kol Isha. This week, I am really excited to be joined by a very unique guest, and her name is Bracha Halpern, and she's doing something really special, and I just really want everybody to know about it. So I'm really excited to have her on. Welcome, Bracha. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to do this with you. So Bracha is a New York City-based business consultant and a former tech COO, and she consults for all kinds of big companies. She also writes on STEM-related topics. Um, She's covered uh, top CEOs and tech executives, news and cutting edge products. So she has a very interesting and varied experience. But the reason that I invited Bracha on is because she has been doing something very interesting, um, which is covering a really broad spectrum of news topics for basically lay people. Um, And she does this via her Instagram account and has gained quite a large following, but I want Bracha to tell us all about what is so unique about what she's doing. So Bracha, please introduce yourself and I would love to hear how you got into what you're doing. And, uh, but before that, a little bit about your background and sort of what got you started in all of this. Okay. First of all, thank you so much. Um, I'm originally from Canada. I live in New York. I've lived in New York for the last couple of years. As you mentioned, I'm a business consultant and basically in very simple English, what that means is that I restructure companies to make them more effective, to make them more efficient. I do leading leadership training, team building, management skills. I facilitate growth plans to accelerate company expansion. And I'm a tech writer for several publications. I have an Instagram page. It started off as a nature page, actually. I used it to showcase my photography. And a few months ago, I started updating people on the news. It was especially fitting during that time because there's so much misinformation. And today, the news and political stories have become so polarized. And we have alternative facts from different media organizations. So I didn't want to be told what to think, what to feel, what to believe, what's considered okay, what isn't considered okay. I just wanted to hear the full story and I'd form my own opinion on that. So I started posting updates. They're factual. They give context, sort of like a 360 degree view of the situation. And I also explain the structure and the ramifications so people can understand what can and cannot be done and what it means for them practically. On important news days, I also live blog the news. And my audience is very diverse. I have progressives, leftists, liberals, Democrats, independents, Republicans, conservatives, Trump supporters. And so I started doing that a few months ago. I started during the election. I thought that it would just be something that would be reserved for the election period and after I would stop. But I got so much positive feedback that I I was asked to continue and I've continued since then. Wow. So, you know, I kind of discovered you, I think 
a little bit after the election. I think you, it was from a post that you put on the From Girls Problems Facebook page, if I remember correctly. Yes, um, yes. And you introduced yourself. And I was like, this sounds so cool because I have been a pretty avid follower of the news for as long as I can remember. Like I grew up in a family where everyone was very politically opinionated and always, you know, wanting to know what's going on in the world. And I just got really, really like disgusted by the way the news was being covered during the election. Um, and it was so much to, to deal with that I kind of swore off the news and I was like, I'm done. You know, I, I go through this every once in a while, but I'm a good addict. So then I come back. Um, but I was like, I'm not following the news anymore. I can't, it's like a mind game because I really felt like my mind was being played with. And then when I saw your post and what you were doing, I was like, see, this is what I've always wanted. I just want to know the facts of what's going on. I don't need someone to tell me how to think or spin it for me or tell me if it's good or bad. Like just give me the information. And you mentioned the term alternate facts. Like there really shouldn't be alternate facts. It's what happened. Did this happen? Did it not happen? Like, that's all I need to know, you know, and then I'll decide what I want to think about it. And so when I saw that, that's what you're doing. I was like, I, I need to, to follow this. So that's when I sort of jumped on your page and it's, it's so refreshing because like you said, you just say what's going on and you also do offer a little bit of analysis on some of the more complex topics, which I love um, because most lay people don't understand like the inner workings of the political system. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying what you're doing. So tell me like how you got into this, like what made you decide you were gonna do this? Where did you see this need sort of? It's a great question. I've always been interested in news and politics. And right now it's a time where it became very trendy. Everybody's talking about the news. Everyone's into the political stories of the day. I was, I, I was doing it before it was considered, you know, on vogue, I guess, but I saw a need because I saw the amount of misinformation out there and there were so many credible news organizations where after reading an article, you knew exactly who they voted for and exactly what their political opinion was. And I, I just, I didn't want that. I, when you read my news, you shouldn't know who I voted for. And that's sort of how I, I, you know, measure my success, I guess, to a certain degree prior to the whole Gaza-Israel conflict that I started covering. Um, my Biden supporter followers think I voted for Biden and my Trump supporting followers think I voted for Trump. And that's really the way it should be. You shouldn't know who I voted for based on the information that I present. Interesting. So yeah, you, you try and I think succeed in remaining very apolitical and like you said, not giving away what your own beliefs are and you just sort of stick to the facts. So let me ask you this, are you comfortable disclosing what your political beliefs are here or is it something like that you wanna keep more private? No, I'm a registered independent in the state of New York. <laughs> okay, so you really are sort of apolitical. Yeah. I, I really am. Um, I don't fit into any particular political mold. And I don't think I'm unique in that sense. I think a lot of people subscribe to a certain political um, 
to a certain political party, but their viewpoints are not necessarily in that box. Their viewpoints are across the spectrum, depending on the, the individual topic. So I, I think I, I kind of fall under that umbrella. So is that kind of how you find it easier to remain impartial because you are sort of not aligned to one particular party? I think it's partially that. I also think I didn't grow up in the United States. So I didn't have that sort of political tension that is there. Um, Canada is much calmer politically and the issues are are discussed much more. I mean, just you know, just to contrast the debates in Canada versus the debates in the U.S., you'll see that Canada is much more uh, focused on the issues. And not not that I'm in any way, shape, or form putting down the political system in the U.S. I, I think it's great. I'm just explaining where I come from and why it's easier for me to remain apolitical when I post things, even though I obviously have my own opinion on it too. Okay, that makes sense. So you have over 13,000 followers right now. How did that blow up like that? I mean, when you started, I'm sure you didn't have close to that. And I see like, you don't really promote yourself. You're not doing like giveaways and hashtags. Like how did this sort of happen? It was just word of mouth. It was, there, I'm sorry, what? It was just word of mouth. Word of it mouth. It was friends telling friends. Um, oftentimes people tagged me in um, stories. So I got a few followers from them and then a few followers from someone else. And it sort of grew. And um, until it, it, I mean, it's still a pretty small account, but the people in the account are very engaged. I have a lot of people watching my stories. I get hundreds of messages every day. So whoever is following me is involved in the content that I'm posting. And you mentioned you have a really diverse group of followers. Um, what's the feedback been like from them? You said 100 messages a day, right? What are they saying? Like, Well, people usually are sharing their opinions on the new stories that I'm posting and um, the prior to the Gaza Israel conflict, the the response was overwhelmingly positive. I it was exclusively positive, I would say people were they were happy to discuss the topics without the political tension involved. And um, it was it was great feedback. And what kind of like stories do people seem to get most passionate about that you're posting? Because you really post about all kinds of different topics. There's been, of course, COVID is a huge one and all the fallout from that and the political system and the election, all that now recently, like you mentioned, the Gaza and Israel thing, which was huge. And I want to get into that a little more. Um, what do people seem to really get going about? I think it's two things. First of all, the things that affect them practically. Um, COVID affected people practically, the COVID vaccine affects people practically. So when it has an effect on your personal life, suddenly you become very interested in it. And then there's always the political story of the day, the thing that everybody's talking about. And this is constantly shifting, but it was the election. And then after we had the, the runoffs, 
we in Georgia, we had the electoral college count, then we had the inauguration. So there's always a new political story that people are suddenly fascinated with for two, three weeks, and then we move on to the next one. So I think it's the, a combination of those two. Um, those are the two things that people are interested in. Makes sense. So, you know, with that, like, to segue into this whole Israel-Gaza conflict that happened over the last few weeks, you mentioned suddenly the messages in your inbox started changing. It sounds like, you know, that was bringing out a little bit of a different side in people. So tell me about that. That must have been a little bit different for you covering Gaza from Jew. Um, Obviously, you have it's a lot less easy to remain impartial in this kind of situation, but I noticed you really, really made a huge effort in trying to remain impartial. So talk about that a little bit. How, how was that for you? Well, my, my news tends to be very non-controversial and very non-inflammatory. It's very calm, very factual. And suddenly I found that I had inadvertently stepped into a minefield. I didn't expect the war to start when I began live blogging the situation in Shikjara and then in the Alaska mosque and suddenly Hamas was throwing rockets into Israel. Israel was launching airstrikes and we had a full-fledged war. And I guess for me, I I saw right away that there was a three-pronged war taking place. There was the conflict on the ground uh, in Gaza and in Israel, and there was the international perception with regards to the politicians, and then there was the social media. And the social media was where I was on the forefront, and it it wasn't easy, it was tough not because I didn't have what to contribute, but because it was such a polarized topic and it was so controversial and every word had to be measured. And I, I could I could almost feel like as I was following along that you were really measuring your words and you were really trying very hard to give a balanced delivery, um, what was going on in both sides. And if you didn't have information, from one side, you would state that, you know, I'm only giving the numbers from Israel because I don't have the numbers from Hamas right now and things like that. Um, and like you said, you know, this this really was a war to such a huge extent that was fought on social media. I don't know that we've ever seen something like that. I mean, in other countries, um, there's been a lot of sort of, you know, revolutions that have happened that I've heard attributed a lot towards social media people um, having these like, you know, sort of virtual social media uprisings, which then would snowball into real uprisings. But that seems to happen in like communist, socialist countries, Venezuela, you know, like we've never been closely involved in something like that. Um, So that experience was probably very different and unique for you to be covering something that hit so close to home. It, it was. On a personal level, I found it very emotional and it touched me personally. And I had to separate my feelings from giving factual information to the people. Um, and so that was one part. And I also felt a little bad because 
I work and I have a lot of other responsibilities and I wasn't necessarily able to give it the time that I really, that I really wanted to give. I wanted to provide so much more historical context and answer many more questions. And I simply couldn't because I didn't have the time. And it was also hard to see so many lies and to be powerless to set the record straight. But as I watched this uh, media, this social media war unfold, a few points struck out. The first thing was that the young generation today is very into advocacy. They're pushing politicians in this regard on matters that are important to them. And that therefore the war on social media is extremely important. There was also this myth in the past that Israel and the Jews in diaspora could be separated. And I think it was debunked last oh, year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're seeing the, the after effects of that myth folding out right now, unfortunately. 100%. 100%. And you mentioned how this was a change from the past. And what struck me was in 2014, Gaza and Israel were in conflict. At that time, the lingo was show restraint, respond proportionately. And that doesn't work anymore. And that's because I, what I saw on social media was a complete rewriting of history, a whitewashing of the history of Israel and of the Jewish people. And the heart of the narrative was that Israel stole the land of the Palestinians and are committing unforgivable atrocities to them. And the terminology, the people that were whitewashing this history were using very specific terminology, terminology like apartheid, baby killing, ethnic cleansing, genocide, colonialism. And therefore, because they branded Israel as a terror state, the activities of Hamas and the subsequent anti-Semitism were not to say that they were irrelevant, but the actions of Hamas were justified a little bit. And the, the Jew hate that we were seeing was justified because Israel was branded as a terror state and all actions against it were therefore legitimate to a certain degree. Now, we know that history doesn't support this narrative, the terminology is incorrect, but when you paint people as evil, when you dehumanize them, when you demonize them, first through Israel and then just demonizing Jews in general, you legitimize and you justify anti-Semitism. And so we saw how quickly the rhetoric and the narrative went from, from not supporting Israel to Jew hatred. And it was excused through the rewriting of history. And that's also why we see so many uh, silent bystanders. I had so many of my followers writing to me so um, uh, disappointed because their friends didn't, weren't standing up for Jews and saying Jew hatred, anti-Semitism is unacceptable. But I think that's because we have these silent bystanders who are afraid of being canceled, are afraid of their followers possibly misinterpreting a stance against anti-Semitism as support for Israel. And that 
is a justification for them to be silent as Jews are verbally and physically attacked. I like to look at the accounts that are pro-Palestinian, um, the accounts that are celebrating Hamas so that I can better understand the situation on the ground because when I understand the situation, then I am able to better address it. Then I know what we're dealing with. That's so fascinating because when I ever touch on one of those accounts or like link to one, I, I get so turned off and it get, makes me like really anxious and fearful to see what sort of hatred is going on, you know, and it's so public and so out there and, and there's so much support for it that I try to avoid looking at those things. Like I want to see more positivity. Like I'll go and find like the Arabs who live in Israel and love Israel and support Israel and, you know, post all sorts of nice videos about how they love being Israeli Arabs and things like that. And that like, I find it so heartwarming though, like probably a little naive of me because they're a very tiny minority. But um, I find it interesting that you like to go <laughs> and see those, those pro-Palestinian <laughs> accounts. No, I said I study it. You study so it. I understand. Okay, so it's not that you enjoy it. It's just that you like to have a better understanding. I, 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 li- I want to understand it. it. It definitely doesn't do well for my stress level. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I understand the situation on the ground, then I can address it. And everyone is entitled to their own opinion. The one thing people are not entitled to is their own facts. And that's really where um, my issue comes in. Today, everybody has a platform on social media. They can say whatever they want. There is no accountability. And so we have a lot of misinformation floating around. And especially when it came to the Gaza-Israel conflict, we were able to see it so clearly. And it's so fascinating because it's not just misinformation. It's like, a complete 180 from the truth. Like what you were just describing about how, you know, what's being painted out there is Israel as the oppressors and then Hamas sort of as the freedom fighters. And I've heard this narrative too. Um, I remember someone, uh, I once got into a conversation with someone who was saying, well, how can you blame them? They're fighting for their freedom. So they're gonna use every sort of measure available to them. And they're essentially, you know, freedom fighters. They're good people. They're trying to give, their, you know, citizens a better life against the oppressors. Whenever you see those sort of rebels standing up in other uh, countries and other places where you have, you know, victims against the oppressors and then the freedom fighters, it was like the Maccabees, you know, oh, they're, they're fighting off the oppressors. So they're doing a great thing. And that, that, you know, that is such a just complete blatant lie. And it's like the complete opposite of the truth, you know, so it's not just like, oh, we're, we're painting Israel as the bad guys, but it's like that whole narrative that you laid out is the actual complete opposite of what's really going on. It's just so fascinating. We see it so clearly, but I think it didn't start here. It was a slow progression and it started with a false moral equivalency between Israel, um, the Israeli army and Hamas. So when we, when we equate the two, we create a situation where both of them have pros and cons. And so from there, we're able to get to the narrative that we have now. 
which means that I don't think it started, this narrative didn't start today. There was a segue to get here. Yeah, for sure, because there have been a lot of these conflicts over the years. And like you said, the language has changed and it's sort of like moving the goalposts slowly from, you know, like you said earlier, it's, well, let's show restraint, but now it's, a you know, they've moved beyond that. And each time they're allowed to get away with this sort of language, it's taken to the next step and it gets more and more inflammatory and, you know, and that becomes more and more acceptable. It's almost like it's not even an issue anymore to speak that way. I also think that most people aren't familiar with the history of the region and most people when they see something online, especially if it resonates with them um, or it's within their echo chamber, they tend to just accept it as fact. They don't even look into what these, what this terminology really means or what the actual history was. And so it, this taught me the importance of history because we see it repeating itself right now. Yeah, 100%. And it's also, you know, to me, a combination of this, like the oppressor versus the victim that we see um, playing out in a lot of different, you know, social justice warrior groups or sort of what we call the woke crowd, you know, where they like to equate every situation where there's a perceived oppressor and a perceived victim, you know, and they're and they're all the same to them oppressor bad, victim good. And in this situation, they've turned the oppressor into Israel and the victim into the Palestinians. And that to them is the equivalent of, for example, the police and African-Americans and the whole Black Lives Matter movement. You know, there's oppressors and victims in that situation too. And it's sort of like you have to show this wokeness and like you're part of the social justice group on Instagram and just jump on the bandwagon say something, whether you know what you're talking about or not. And that has added so much fuel to the fire. There's this pressure to speak out about everything, even if you don't understand anything about the topic. I think that um, that's the trend today. It's about advocacy. It's about social justice. The the social media generation is very involved in, in advocacy. And it used to be that people weren't as involved, or at least not vocally. And and don't get me wrong, being involved is very, very positive. And everyone should stand up for what they believe in. But it just shows how right now the getting out the truth is we need a more multi-pronged approach. The politicians and the international leaders obviously have to be reached and people are doing a wonderful job with that. But there's also, uh, it's also important to reach the, the regular people who are on social media. Of course, nobody's regular, but the people that are on social media um, because they have a big voice now. And and again, it's a good thing that they have a big voice and they should use their voice to stand out. It's just, we have to adjust with the times. The problem is though, you know, you mentioned that this advocacy is sort of like the trend and that it's a good thing, which I agree with to an extent, but the issue with it is it's almost like it's the idea of advocacy without any action, right? Like posting a hashtag, um, 
hashtag stop Asian hate. Okay, I'm good. You know, I'm going to wipe my hands. I did my part. You actually really didn't do anything. I mean, of course, Asian hate is bad and we should all want it to stop. But like posting a hashtag really doesn't accomplish anything. It does raise some awareness, but there's no real room for nuanced conversation on Instagram. It's very, very rare to find an actual conversation happening without just two sides attacking each other. When you read some of the comments, which sometimes I get stuck in that rabbit hole, it's like, you know, people are just attacking each other or yelling free Palestine, no free Israel, no this, that, you know, um, you know, million Palestinian flags, a million Israeli flags. Okay. There's obviously a lot of awareness coming out of all of this, um, you know, that there's an issue going on, but it's like, are you actually accomplishing anything or creating any meaningful change when you just write free Palestine or Am Yisrael Chai, you know, what's your opinion about that? I actually think that you do. And I'll tell you why. The very first step is awareness. Awareness leads to a new sort of mindset. And that new mindset then will lead to action. So I think it's a multi-pronged approach, but the awareness is the first um, step. And that's why I, I struggle with some of the terminology that are used because I think words have power. So when we call Israel certain derogatory names, we're actually creating a reality that may not exist, but it doesn't matter because this is the perception. The perception is that it does exist. But I do agree with what you're saying about um, Instagram and Twitter and uh, TikTok not having room for nuance. And it's a struggle that I've had because there were so many times where I wanted to bring different perspectives in. And it's not easy because you have to give bite-sized chunks of information. And it doesn't, but I've really worked hard on my page to create, and this is one of the things I'm most proud of, to create um, consensus building and to create an exchange of ideas between people who have different viewpoints. And I don't only mean in the Gaza-Israel conflict, I mean in general. I have so many followers reaching out to me and asking, you know, after I put out a poll or when I ask a question and I get responses, they want to understand what are people who have a different political um, ideology than them think or feel, or how do they explain this? So I feel like this exchange of ideas, while it's very, very difficult to have on social media, this nuance, it's possible, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. For sure, because it's even a challenge in real life, you know, and I I almost think that's a reflection of this social media age where our information is given to us in memes or like yes. 145 character tweets. How many characters are allowed in a tweet? I don't even know. But like sure. two sentences, right? Like we're given bite-sized pieces of very limited amount of information and then we're expected to sort of just go with that. Um, and then... I feel like that's created a lot of polarization because on the one hand, people think they know the issue now because they read a tweet about it, you know, um, even better if it was from a celebrity, you know, then they for sure know the issue. <laughs> um, but then in real life, it's like, well, I can't talk to you really because you voted for Trump and I can't talk to you because you voted for Biden. And, you know, people have become very polarized. 
I feel like it's the social media that has changed people in that way. I don't know. What do you think? It's very interesting because I tried an experiment on my Instagram account. I asked people questions without politicizing it. So let's say there would be, there's a bill um, and that's being debated in Congress or in the Senate. And I asked people their opinion on the content of the bill without attributing it to a specific political party. And obviously there are people on both extremes of the spectrum, no doubt about it. But I did find that there was a lot more consensus when, when the politicization of a certain issue was taken away, was removed. That's fascinating. And I'm so not surprised because I'm such a huge believer in people having conversations, especially if they disagree, because whenever I do that with people, I love doing this with people. Not everyone's willing to do it. You know, not everyone feels like they have enough information to get into it. And I'm not saying I have all the information either. It's just something I find it really interesting to talk with people who disagree with me or, you know, or moving away from politics, just people who are from different cultural backgrounds and have had like vastly different experiences than me in life. Um, and I find that like, once you remove those outer layers and those barriers of like, well, I'm a Republican, well, I'm a liberal or whatever that label may be or group that they associate with, at the end of the conversation, you find that you agree on most of the issues. I mean, there are, of course, like you said, extremes, or there are things that people are just like not willing to give in on, like, 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 for example, abortion is like one of those super hot topics, but um, you'll find like extremes on, on almost every topic, but there's like, I don't know, I would say 90% of the topic is gray and you'll find that people will agree within that gray area, you know? And I think even when, with the very hot topics, you can discuss them if you're open and willing to hear what the other person has to say there can be an exchange of ideas and there will be some points where you can agree and other points where you have a different ideology and you may not agree and that's okay, but there can be respectful conversation there as well. And look, I, I'm not a controversial person by nature. I'm non-inflammatory. I try not to sensationalize the news. I try to make it as unstressful as possible and I'm having so many fascinating conversations with people on both ends of the political spectrum on very, very hot topics. But when there's a respect, we can have an exchange of ideas, but social media doesn't lend itself to that. Right. Also, we're, we're sitting in echo chambers and that also doesn't lend itself to an exchange of ideas. 100%. That's, that's what I was just about to say. Like, I love getting out of my echo chamber a little. I mean, I like being in my echo chamber sometimes too. It's nice to talk to people that you agree with and you go, yes, you know, like I 100% agree with that. And like, you know, reflect ideas off of each other. That's some, sometimes enjoyable too. But I am such a huge fan of just like, get out of your echo chamber, meet people that are different than you, share ideas. You know, like, I, I really think that's like such a huge thing that we're lacking and that people are just not willing to do or they don't have the opportunity to do because they associate, you know, intentionally or not with 
primarily people who agree with them or, you know, I know people who will say like, I will not get into politics at work, like politics are not for the workplace. And I can, I can totally hear that, you know, but I think work is one of the best places to meet people that are from like different cultural backgrounds, you know, and have, like you said, a, a thoughtful exchange of ideas, but it's, it's really fascinating. And I wonder if there's, um, some way to move like beyond what you're doing and sort of connect these people with each other so that they can, you know, actually reflect their ideas off of someone who maybe disagrees with them or is willing to engage, you know? I actually have so many ideas for my page because I feel like I tapped into something that there is a need for. The struggle is that you need the time and the energy to be able to do that. And I work, I have a lot of other obligations. So I don't necessarily have that time unless I would monetize it. And as you mentioned before, I, I don't do ads. I don't do giveaways. I haven't monetized my page at all. So there are a lot of ideas playing in my mind and I would love to see how to be able to do them. I would love to see that. And it sounds like you're super busy. I was actually thinking like while you were live blogging the Israel and Gaza conflict, I was like, this must be so incredibly time consuming for you because even for me as the consumer, I was, I was, you know, watching your stories and reading all of the little blurbs that you were putting out and watching some of the videos that you linked to. It was time consuming for me. <laughs> I was like, I got to get off of this and start doing the dishes, you know, but um, I was really thinking about that. Like you are putting in so much time and effort. And obviously I don't know what else you have going on, but I was like, I wonder how you're getting anything else done these days because there's, there was, you really dedicated and I don't know if you want to say sacrifice, but I would say you really dedicated so much time to it. And I, I was very, very thankful for that. And I think a lot of other people probably were too, because it was such a great resource um, for me and I'm sure for so many others. I got such overwhelming feedback and that really was what gave me the strength to continue. I felt like I went through the war, <laughs> but um, I, I, my, the feedback that I got was overwhelmingly positive. I had so many people reaching out and thanking me, but putting out the slides weren't even the thing that was the most time consuming. I had, I mean, like I said before, I had a lot of people thanking me for, for putting out this information and people telling me that this was their only source of news. And many of my followers are don't have roots in the area, in the region. So they so this was new for them, and they had many questions. And so I did my best to answer their questions, obviously in private conversations, and to give them the information that they needed to better understand the conflict. So that was also quite uh, time consuming as well. And I had a lot of people reach out to me uh, asking me to fact check pieces of information that they were seeing on social media and they weren't sure if it was true or not true. So I did a bit of fact checking as well. But the thing that gave me strength to continue were the people that told me that my slides inspired them to, to look into the conflict in more detail and not believe everything that they see on social media. And so I, 
and oftentimes it caused them to change their views ultimately. So that also gave a lot of strength and, and made me continue. I don't consider myself an activist, but I feel like for the last two weeks, I became an activist and there was a need because there weren't a lot of people doing what I was doing and it was necessary at the moment. Yeah, I 100% agree that it was necessary. And it must have been very satisfying for you to hear that feedback from people, um, especially after all, you know, that hard work that you put in. It, it was, it, it gave me the strength to continue. <laughs> uh, did you get any negative feedback, like any of the trolls and bothersome I people? Did. I did. It, it was very interesting. It was, it's very hard to argue with my slides they're factual you can you can check them up you can verify them but I did get some negative feedback and they fell into two categories one I only got two messages like this and one person actually deleted the message after but continues to follow me um that I'm brainwashed and um the powerful Israel lobby you know anti-semitic tropes like that the other group of people, and it wasn't a lot, these were people who had no idea what was happening in the region and just were sending me links to unverified, uncredible posts. And, you know, why aren't you posting about this? Why aren't you posting about that? And I would tell them, you know, I'm, I'm happy to post about everything. Please send me verified, credible information and I will post it. And that's usually where the conversation stopped. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Um, so in terms of uh, verifying your information and making sure that it's credible, um, how do you do that vetting process? You know, I, I noticed you don't usually post a link, but you've mentioned you know, if someone wants that information, they can message me and I'll give it them, you know, where I got this info from and stuff. Are there certain sites that you trust or sites that you don't or, you know, what what's your process for something uh, passing the, the test for your page? So uh, for me, I, I just want to add to what you're saying. Oftentimes you'll see, I'll say, according to Al-Arabia or, or according to Hamas or according to, because that's where I'm getting my information from for that particular post. Um, for me, I look at a wide variety of sites on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, and so let's say, for example, in this particular conflict, I looked at Arabic sites, um, sites that were pro Hamas as much as can be. I also looked at the Hebrew Israeli media and I looked at the English media, both, um, both uh, the Hamas side and the Israel side. And together I was able to do my best to piece, to piece it together. But a lot of things were put out. For example, how many people were killed in Gaza? This is something that Hamas puts out. The videos that I posted, Hamas themselves put it out. Um, and the same thing on the Israeli side. So that was really, it, it was a difficult vetting process because it was time consuming, but there was a lot of information out there. Yeah, it sounds very time consuming to go through all of that. And then you really break it down into bite-sized nuggets, like, you know, because most people lose interest when reading a news article, like past the headline and the byline, they're done, you know, 
I know sometimes that's the case for me too. Like we have short attention spans these days, you know. You so, really have to summarize everything in two lines. <laughs> or you've lost your audience. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but you did a really, really great job with it. Um, so what else do you have planned? Like what sort of stories, um, obviously whatever comes up, you know, we can't predict what's going to be in the news, but what sort of stories do you gravitate towards or do you enjoy reporting? Are there any that you won't touch? Um, and you know, where do you see yourself going in the future with this page? So my passion is political stories. So I, I love the, the politics and the polling and dissecting the different ideologies. I love the elections. Um, that, that's how this page really started. And that's where a lot of my passion lies. But I'm going to go where the people go and where the stories are now. I have no idea what we're going to be talking about next week or in the, the week after that. Wherever the big story is, though, I will do my best to report on it in uh, factual, non-inflammatory, non-controversial, calm manner. Yep, and that's what I love about what you do, and I think that's why you're you're so successful and why you're growing. I think you know, like you said, and and the proof is there that it's so not only not only is it something that so many people want, but I feel like it's something that so many people need, you know, we're becoming, unfortunately, like we discussed, so polarized. And so, I don't know, to me, it, it like so much of the news is very anxiety inducing just in the way that it's presented, like it doesn't need to be. And I don't know, maybe that's some sort of tactic that is used intentionally to sort of addict people to the news and keep coming back for more and more and more. Um, cause that's what it feels like to me a little bit, um, whether intentional or not, but, um, I think it's really necessary for people that want to know what's going on in the world and, you know, have a real interest in that stuff to have a source that's not going to drive you completely insane. <laughs> so that's you for me. <laughs> I call it sensationalism and I think it's employed because it works. But I try to be as unsensational as possible and to be as stress-free as possible. Yeah, and you're doing such a great job. So thank you from me and from I'm sure 13,000 other people. Well, thank you so much. I, I do want to add uh, two points really quickly. This whole, I learned a lot from this whole uh, Israel-Gaza saga. And... I realized the importance of history. We see history repeating itself. And I also realized that I can't change the world, but I can use my little sphere of influence to make the world a better place, a place with more light, a place with more peace, a place with more understanding. And that's really what I'm trying to do. And I also realized that we don't choose when our voice is needed. But when the time comes, we just have to step up and do what needs to be done. Yeah, those are those are two really good points. And I think, you know, you've taken that that message came to you, right? You didn't ask for this conflict. You didn't ask for these um, these followers to to be needing your voice so much. But, um, you know, I think it's it's a great example of taking that responsibility and seeing you know, when the need comes, you really rose to the occasion um, and did such a great job doing it. And, 
you know, like if everyone had this, this positivity about them, then we really wouldn't have so many sensational news stories to cover. I don't know, your job would get a little more boring, but life would look a little nicer. But I also think it's education a little bit as well. When I look at, and, and this isn't only this news story, it's since I started covering news stories, one of the things I think we're missing is critical thinking skills. And I wish that would be something that was taught in school. You don't believe everything you see or read. And some things, might be true, some things might not. How do you discern what has value and what doesn't? And those are, I think, in today's day and age, because social media isn't going away. This is our reality. So I think that these skills are very important to teach children so that when they um, go out into the world and they're going out at a very, very young age because um, they're, they're, you know, they're using social media. They have the tools that they need to better sift through the information. Absolutely. And, you know, what's interesting is so many people um, talk about teaching our kids these skills all the time, but I think a lot of grownups need to learn these skills too. Like we just saw over the past two weeks, it wasn't mostly children involved. It was mostly you know, grown adults with children of their own. Maybe our generation wasn't um, taught the skills as much because when we were kids, these things weren't around. We just sort of had to adapt to it, you know? Um, and now we know that we have to teach our kids certain tools because they're gonna be living in this reality. But as, as grownups, um, as adults and consumers of this stuff and people who are active on these platforms, we do have a certain responsibility to ourselves and to and to the people we interact with to learn those skills and to really, you know, sort of check ourselves a minute before going ahead and saying something, posting something, you know, I've been doing this a lot where I'll want to comment on something that I see and I type it out and then I just stop and delete it. I'm like, no, you know, because, you, you know, you, you have to be careful out there and you know something that we need to do a little better with a hundred percent a hundred percent it's not always easy because it's it's so easy to do and we're busy with a million other things so thinking things through when it comes to social media isn't always the top priority right yeah absolutely well Rafa, I just really want to thank you for taking the time to come on here and chat and also really for what you're doing. I just want to encourage everybody who's listening, if you are a consumer of the news, if you like to be on top of what's going on and you're looking for a really good resource, Rafa's page is really, really wonderful. Um, I will link to it and um, I really look forward to seeing what you do next and following along as we move through these crazy news cycles. <laughs> Thank you so, so much for your time and um, for what you do. <laughs>